Let's look at life on mission in Acts 18. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Acts 18, verse 24, and we're going to get into chapter 19. And we see Paul living life on mission in chapter 18 uh, up to verse 23. We see Paul living life on mission in his entire life, right? It's something he, he writes about, he talks about, we see it, we see it through his life. Luke records it in Acts. But particularly um, here there's this shift, right, in, in 18. And Paul is just showing us that he's continuing to push forward with the gospel, living outside of himself and outside of his interests, that it wasn't about him, it was about the gospel advancing. It's about disciples being discipled and, and made to be disciple makers, that, that we're not just teaching people, we're teaching and equipping people to go teach and equip people. Now there's different levels of this, right, because Paul writes to teachers, who are pastors, right? We have the pastoral epistles where he's directly talking to pastors, those teachers, right? We read about giftings where there's this gifting of teaching. But every Christian, in a sense, is called to teach because you're teaching people, at the very least, the gospel. That is a command for every Christian. So you've got some responsibility to teach. Amen? All right. Amen. We all understand that there's, there's this sense to teach, and, and I can't make it any more simple because I had to make it simple for myself than this. Teach people what you know. The things that you don't say, I don't know, and I'll get back to you. Now, when it comes to the gospel, if you've been saved, it shouldn't be difficult. You don't need a five-point message. You need to understand the joy that you were given in and through the gospel and share that. It doesn't have to be spectacular. We read about plenty of people through the Bible who didn't know how to talk and talk well, not eloquently, not with plausible words of wisdom, but Paul says it didn't matter. I didn't come with any of that so that the power of the cross would not be emptied. The cross of Christ wouldn't be emptied of its power. That's so important for us to understand. But the main point as we end chapter 8 and get into chapter 19 for us this morning is learn what is taught and teach what you learn. Being from West Virginia, I was struggling with this point. I was like, learn what is taught and teach what you learned. Like, te teach what is, and I'm like, I just got to go with this. So I hope you all understand. Just learn what is taught. Whatever's being taught, learn it. Now, there's, there's things that are being taught that aren't good. They're heresy. It's contrary to the Bible. Learn it. Know it. And defend the Bible to it. Right? There's a bunch of things that you're going to be taught, but you need to learn it. Particularly with the Bible, we need to learn what it says. And then whatever you learn, teach it. It may not be in a formal setting, but there are going to be times where you get to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. You're going to get to talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get into today. And it may be things that you're like, I don't really care about knowing all these points. It's, it's fine to not be the scholar in those doctrines, right? But it's being taught, so learn it and teach what you learn. Just a point to drive this home. Let's talk about learning, teaching, and guarding. To drive home the main point, learn what is taught, teach what you learn. First, you got to learn, then you can teach, and then we're going to learn about guarding. First point, learn. Before we go any further, let's actually be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, thank you for this time that we've 
uh, got this morning to come together in this warm building and and just dry and just be able to, to worship you in spirit and in truth, God. And I pray that you would just be with us in this time, that you would move amongst us. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for our visitors this morning. Thank you for those who have been attending. God, and I pray that each of us understand the vision of this, this calling, this mission that you've given to us to go and to make disciples. So as we gather in this morning to worship and praise and exalt the name of Jesus, I pray that we'd be encouraged to walk through these doors and walk out these doors as missionaries, as ambassadors for the gospel, to tell people about Jesus Christ and everything that we know about him and to go and to learn what we don't so that you may be honored and glorified through everything. Father, we love you, we praise you, and ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Point number one, learn. Learn. So we're going to read about Apollos here in Acts 18. And we see that, that he's this teacher, right? But he's also a student. So let's dive in. Acts 18, verse 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. So we're introduced to Apollos here. I want to remind you, especially for any visitors, the Bibles have moved. Uh, they're down at the end. If you need those, that's cool. The main scripture is not on the screen. And then there's Acts Scripture Journals in the cafe on the book cart. That's our gift to you. So we're introduced here to Apollos, right? It says he's a native of Alexandria, and then he comes to Ephesus. We ended with uh, seeing that Paul went to Ephesus in Acts 18. Um, it says that he'll return if God wills. And then it goes into Apollos, this, this man who is who's eloquent, he's competent in the Scriptures, and he's found his way to Ephesus being from Alexandria. That word, eloquent. He's solid with the scriptures. He, he's sharp. He's astute, as some might say, right? Like, I, I know some astute people. They, they, they think precisely, right? Like, they, they are sharp with it. They don't, they don't play video games. They don't care about the things that don't matter. They are sharp. Some of us may know those kind of people. Huh, yeah, right. I'm talking about you. No, I'm talking about Apollos. Apollos Fox, right? Was that his last name? Apollos Fox? Probably. Sneaky, sneaky creatures they are, those foxes. And it says he was eloquent and competent. This is, Luke is building this guy up, right? He's showing us the character and what people thought about him, right? That's great. It's good. We get to see this, this man. And he's, a, he's competent with the scriptures. He understands at this point, this is the Old Testament, right? Because the New Testament's still, it's surfacing. Epistles are going out. But it says he's competent with the scriptures. It says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He's been taught himself. He's a student, which is what a disciple is. Every believer in Christ Jesus is a student, a student of the word forevermore, for all eternity. We will be students of our God. It says he's been instructed by the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he taught and spoke accurately. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew, he knew only of the baptism of John. See, the baptism of John was different than the baptism we do 
here at the church. When we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is a sign, an outward sign of an inward change. John's baptism was looking forward to the one who was coming to take away the sins of the world. It was a sense of this washing. It's different. And it says that this man who was sharp and competent with the scriptures, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So that's like Luke's little, little slide here that he's like, he knew about Jesus, right? But he, he still had a lot to learn. He still had more that he needed to learn. Though he was a teacher, he was still a student. He needed to learn. Verse 26, so he only knew of the baptism of John, and it says that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This is really important here because, the church, we're, we're going to get into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in, in just a bit. But this is very important, I think, for us to understand not only about our pastors who, who may come across as like know-it-alls at time, like we, we talk about things that just seem like to many of us don't matter. And there are things that we talk about that don't matter, right? But when we talk about the scriptures, we're, we're investigating, right? We're bringing out magnifying glasses. We're like, what does this say? Because we need to know it and we need to know it accurately. And it's though he was a teacher, though we are teachers, though we are pastors, church, we are students of the word first, just like every Christian ought to be. So he's, he's going into the synagogue. He's, he's confident, right? He's an eloquent. He's an astute man who knows the word, and he teaches the things concerning Jesus accurately. And he goes and he speaks these things boldly, but when Priscilla and Aquila, who we read about in Acts 18, Paul disciples them, right? He, he's, he's with them. He's with their household. They go with them. They travel with them a little bit. So Paul has discipled them. Paul has taught them them. They were learners of the word through the teacher, Paul. And they pass on. They hear these things, right? You know that Paul had been teaching about the Holy Spirit, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about the baptism that we practice in the church now of baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is separate from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot going on, right? You're all like, yeah, trying to keep with it, right? There's baptism of John, Baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens at salvation. Some, some use that term loosely, and, and they believe that you have the Spirit at salvation, but the baptism is different. That's okay. We're just using terms a little bit differently. So baptism of John, looking forward to the coming of Jesus, right? You're, you're showing that you have faith in the one to come through this baptism. Then you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, and then we tell the world of our salvation through believer's baptism. So just trying to like paint that all out for you. If you've got any questions, go to newhilloh.com slash ask. Send those in, okay? Or just come find us after service. We're ready to preach two sermons when we're done here. So lots going on. So they hear this, Priscilla and Aquila, they hear what he's teaching. They don't go, wrong, wrong. Yo, you're wrong. Because it says that he taught the things about Jesus accurately. But what does it say? It says they pull him to the side and they teach him the way of God more accurately. My instinct is like, I'm, I'm being bold, I'm in the synagogue. Like, the West Virginian in me is like, you don't tell me what to do. No, what's he do? He takes it, he learns, because teachers are also students. 
Teachers of the word of God are also students of the word of God. We should learn what is being taught. We shouldn't just shut it down. We shouldn't become know-it-alls. No, each one of your pastors, and I can say this confidently about most of our church family, right? Like maybe some of us have you know, some mischief going on, and I don't know about it, right? But everybody seems to want to know more about the Word of God, to be accurate with the Word of God, so that we can go and proclaim the truths from the Word of God. That is so important. And he takes this feedback, he has taught the Word of God more accurately, and it says, and he wished, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, uh, who through the grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So they teach him the way more accurately, and they send him out faithfully. Like, he wanted to go, and they're like, yeah. Not only that, but they wrote a letter to go ahead of him to say, welcome this brother when he gets there, because he's going to be a great help. And indeed, church, the scriptures say that he was. Those who humble themselves and are students before they are teachers will see much fruit from their ministry. We need to focus in on that. There, there's so much to be said here about, about what doctrine they were getting into, and we're going to get into that once we get to chapter 19. But church, it should not be missed that the teacher is first a student. It says Apollos was an eloquent man, that he handled it accurately. Well, isn't, isn't that enough to just be accurate about Jesus? That's something that ties directly into our culture. Now, there are things that I think we don't need to lead with. We don't need to be going and leading with end times everywhere we go. We don't need to be caught up and worried about and fussing about end times all the time. The end is coming. Paul says the end is near. It's been 2,000 years. It's still near. I don't know when it is. It says it's coming like a thief in the night. Those things matter, but they are not always of first importance. But they matter. Why am I saying this? Because we need to learn every bit of the word of God. Don't just stop at the gospel. Don't give up at the gospel. Don't, don't just say, oh, well, this, this is important about Jesus. That was accurate enough. No, it mattered to them that he knew about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Learning the word of God matters. Proverbs 1, verses 5 through 7 says, Let the wise hear and increase in what, church? Learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It is so important that we, we grow in our understanding of the scriptures. Why? Not so we can wear it as a badge of honor. It's like, oh, I, I know all these points and all these doctrines, right? This isn't, this isn't Christian scouts like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America where we get badges about everything that we know. No, church, God gave us his word so that we can know him, love him, draw near to him, and tell people about him. It's so good. And we don't have to wonder what God is like. He's revealed it. He's revealed it to us through his word. And those who learn, teach. Point number two, teach. We have to learn. We have to be students. We are called disciples for a reason. Actually, maybe you don't know that, but you were called a disciple. Jesus is going to say, you were one of my disciples one day, right? Like, go ahead and, and, and get it in your head because it's a good word. It means that you're a student of his word. 
You're a student of Jesus Christ. And students should turn and teach. Teach what you know. Teach what you've been given. Teach the word of God. Now, there's the gifting, right? I don't want to neglect that. I don't want to downplay it as if everybody just teaches, right? Some of you are like, I don't like to teach. Yeah, you probably don't have the gift of teaching. That's fine. That's okay. Paul says, he gives us this analogy that we're a body together. No one person is the church. We collectively make up the church, okay? So we do have different giftings, but every person should be willing and ready to teach what you've learned, especially the gospel. I want to start here before we jump into chapter 19. Philippians 4, verse 9, Paul writes to this church who we've already read about in Acts, and he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. That, that is so good because he's teaching, he's giving, they're hearing, and they've seen not just what he talked about, but what he lived out by the word of God. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, practice these things. Everything that I've taught you, everything that you've learned, practice these things. Part of what we teach here at the, uh, this church family is that we are to go and to make disciples, teaching them, right? Teaching about baptism. You can't baptize people if you don't teach people about baptism, right? Some people are like, baptism. And maybe you've been in church so long that you're like, people don't know about baptism? No. We do baptism, and I have people like, look at me like, what's going on here? And they ask me after church, just a couple weeks, so what exactly does that mean? People don't know. So we go and we teach the command. So if we're going to practice what is taught, know that we are teaching to go and to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. Not some things, not that Jesus is just good enough, but all things that I've commanded. Now, the broader context of Philippians 4.9, because that's important, is that they're obeying the word, right? Not just this part, but they're obeying the word and everything. Everything that Jesus has commanded. Let's turn here. What's going on in Acts 19? It says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So they're crossing paths. Paul was in Corinth, now he goes to Ephesus. Apollos was in um, Ephesus, and now he's gone on to Corinth. Verse 1 continues, it says, There he found some disciples, being in Ephesus. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, who? Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues, prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. I'm pulling up a note here. And I think it's really important because this passage, church, is, is there's so much to talk about, right? Our, our pastors here, we, we love to talk about this passage. It was actually just a, a couple months ago, and I was like, hey, called Pastor Gary, and I was like, hey, I know we were talking about this passage. Let's go over it again and, and see what's going on because anytime we start talking as a Baptist church about speaking in tongues and prophesying, the Baptist council gets together and like, how are we going to handle this one, boys? Right? Like we're like, with grace and peace and just move on, right? Like, so we do want to say 
that there are different views that fall within orthodoxy. That means sound Christianity. These are brothers and sisters you're going to be in heaven with. So be gentle. Whatever you believe, be gentle, because this is an orthodox belief of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. Okay? But there's something serious going on here. This is big. Then Paul comes across people that Apollos has probably been teaching who didn't know everything about baptism. So he's gotten a hold of them, and it seems Paul's maybe gotten a hold of his disciples, and he's starting to teach them. Why? Because Paul has already learned from the Scriptures. Paul has already learned and been taught and is being led by the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. It says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No. We didn't even know there was the Holy Spirit. Now, it's unlikely that they had never heard of the Holy Spirit, okay? That they are disciples. So they're, they're called disciples, which means that they were believers, right? They were just students. They prob- Luke would probably not call them disciples if they were not believers. Now, there's this transitional period. Why? Because the Old Testament saints were not indwelt by the Spirit. There's a different context there. The veil had not yet been torn. They were not yet temples of the living God. Everybody tracking with me? All right. So then Jesus comes on the scene, our Savior, the Messiah, and he says, I'll send you a helper. He says the Spirit hadn't yet come. But then we read about this baptism, John's baptism, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's get a little context here. John's baptism, Luke 3.16. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will what, church? Baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, that's Luke 3.16. And then Jesus comes on the scene, the one John was talking about, and Jesus says this in John 7.39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Were to receive, not yet come. This is important. Those who believed. So believers receive the Holy Spirit. Romans says that if you don't have the Spirit, you're not actually a child of God. You're not actually a believer because believers have the Spirit, all right? Now, this shouldn't be concerning. If you're a believer, you've got the Spirit. This isn't like a, see inside of you, right? Like, can you, can you feel the Spirit? No, if you're a believer, you believed in the gospel, the Spirit is dwelling inside of you. Jesus said this, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in Acts, when we get to Pentecost, we see the outpouring of the Spirit. The veil had been torn. Now the people of God are the temple of God. We now dwell with the living God who is living inside of you. This is so Good, and this is so important for them to understand that the veil had been torn, that God now was dwelling inside of them. Pastor Simon and I had this discussion um, a long time ago, back when all of us were discussing this passage, knowing that it was coming up. Said, well, all believers have to have the Spirit, right? Yeah. Like Romans says, Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a believer. But then what happened here? It says that they didn't even hear about the Spirit. They hadn't heard about the outpouring of the Spirit. And church, tell me how God is living inside of you without the Scriptures. 
Some of you will be like, I don't know. And be like, well, how are you living for God? I'm, I'm following him. I'm trying to repent and just do what the Old Testament tells me to do, right? Because that, that'd be all you had at this point. And the gospel's going forward and the gospel's advancing and churches are being planted. And the word is now getting around of what happened at Pentecost and they were now seeing, not reading, they were seeing and witnessing the spirit now living inside. What the, that lyric, it really stood out to me is that the evidence is all around. The spirit of the living God is here. The evidence is all around. Church, this is the, the Baptist view, right? We don't have to see anybody busting out in tongues. You don't have to get up and prophesy for us to know that the Spirit of God is here and is dwelling and living inside of you. R.C. Sproul notes this, because what happened? It says they, they didn't know, and, and John or Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it says, and when Paul laid, laid his hands on them, they, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. This is an extension of Pentecost. This was important because the evidence was there that the Spirit is now dwelling inside of all believers. Not filling, right? You can quench the Spirit. We'll be there in a minute. And you can be filled with the Spirit, but you can never, as a believer, remove the Spirit from you. You are a temple of the living God. R.C. Sproul says this about the speaking in tongues and prophesying upon being uh, uh, Paul's hands being laid on them. It says, the experience the Ephesian Gentiles have when receiving the Holy Spirit parallels that of the Jews, the Samaritans, and God-fearing Gentiles. This episode is an extension of the Pentecost experience to yet another group of people, which indicates that Christ's promise of the Spirit had been extended to the ends of the earth as a third and last geographical territory to which the apostolic witness was to extend. This is important. Now, there's different nuances even within uh, Brother Sproul's um, uh, quote there. But what he is saying is true. The word of God was going out through action. Paul's laying his spirit is inside of you. Let me tell you about the outpouring of the spirit. They didn't have video cameras. It wasn't like you could be like, look at all these guys. They were in this upper room and boom. See that? I posted it to YouTube. You can send the link around. No, it happens. He lays his hands on them. They are now filled with the Spirit. It says the Spirit came upon them, and they start prophesying and speaking in tongues. What better way to know without the Scriptures that the Spirit's living inside of you than you start speaking in other languages without Rosetta Stone, right? Like, boom. It's right there. It happened. He's teaching them. Back to the point. He is teaching these believers. And they are learners. They're students. They are learning about God. Now this is different. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is different, again, nuance, than being filled with the Spirit. You cannot remove the Spirit. But Paul says you can quench the Spirit. And you know what he says about quenching the Spirit? Don't do it. It means don't give way to your flesh. It means don't try and sprinkle a little bit of Spirit in there and be like, little, here's like all my sin this week and you know, that, like that little salt guy, right? And you just like dabble a little bit of salt on all our, all our unrighteousness and it's like, ah, that's good right there. Now that tastes a little bit better. 
Now my life looks a little bit better. No, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18, don't be drunk with wine, don't be filled with wine, and, and don't, uh, for that is debauchery, but be filled with what, church? The Spirit. You want to talk about being filled with the Spirit, go talk to, to Pastor Mark. He's really been working on this, and it's been a real conviction to me and maybe some of you all who are doing group with him. By the way, if we're doing group plugs, we got a group tonight at, at 6 p.m. at the Meadows House. We're hosting, and uh, word on the street is that that's the best group. Um, I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, but if you've been going to Pastor Mark's group, one of the things he's been telling me is how he's really just praying for uh, the Spirit to fill him, that he'd be filled with the Spirit, and that he wouldn't quench the Spirit. And he, he's, he's shared with me the peace that that's given him going into work situations and life situations. And it's been so encouraging to me and a reminder to me that, that not only is it like, don't quench the Spirit, but be filled with. It's not enough to just sit idly. Pray, church, earnestly that you would be filled with the Spirit, for the Spirit is living inside of you. There's nothing, believer, that you can do about that. But pray to be Build and guard yourself. Point number three. Paul is teaching this. He says these are, these are disciples. There's about 12 men in all in verse seven. And he's, he's teaching them. They go on. It says he entered, verse eight, he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom. Look, everything that's going on, learning and teaching, learning and teaching. And I can guarantee you, Paul is still learning also. He's being guided by the Spirit to do these things. But, verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This hall that, that he's in, not much is known about it. It's possible that he was given a room in this, this man's house. There's some other translations that even have like a timeline, right? Like between like eight and four, he was allowed to use it. Or like 11 and four, something like that. That he was allowed to use this, this hall and teach. And it seems like that they've gone underground for the safety maybe of other people speaking evil of the way, but also to guard these disciples because disciples are learners, right? They're, they're students. And Paul wants to make sure that they are not being misled because Paul's about to leave. His journey is about to continue. Church, it is so important that we guard our heart against the evil one and guard those around us. Pastors, pastors of this church are always assessing and making sure that there's no one coming in here to split us that may sound mean. Like, what would you do if you found out a wolf was in here? I'd kick him out. Why? Because as I look around and I see every face made in the image of God and believers saved to be redeemed to that image fully, I think, why would I want anything to get in the way of you and God? Not me and you. I can mess our relationship up, right? I can be a terrible friend at times, but I don't want a wolf to come in and ruin that relationship, not with me, but with you and God. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Next passage, Acts 20, verses 28 and 29. We're gonna get there in uh, probably a few months. I was gonna say a few weeks, but still got months here. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own 
blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Church, it's serious. People are going to come in. They're going to be talking about Acts. They're going to be talking about Genesis. They're going to talk and act like they're Apollos's, but they don't know the things about Jesus accurately. They don't care to be learners of the word. They only care to be dividers of the word, not even using the word to back up the truth, the falseness that they're speaking. Church, we have to be on guard. Like, if we're going to learn, learn this. Before you leave, you're going to go out there into this world, and God has called you to be an evangelist and take the gospel into it, but God has told us that it is a dark and wicked place. People will try and twist and pervert this word, and what will happen if we are not on guard is we will be led astray. Be a learner in this moment. Before you go to teach, guard your heart and guard the heart of those around you. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. There's, there's so much in this, in this passage. I mean, we could just preach on it for a few more weeks, talking about the baptisms. If you have any questions, please just come see one of the pastors after. Like I said, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of uh, beliefs that fall within sound and orthodox Christianity. But what I want us to know this morning and to take and to do and to live out is the fact that we are to be learners and we are to be teachers, right? Learn what is taught and teach what you learn. Now, you may not be ready, but we just talked about three different baptisms this morning. You all may be like, I'm still trying to like piece it all together. Like, how does A connect to B and B to C? That's fine. But don't leave here like, I don't know, don't care. Leave here hungry for more and passionate to carry it forward to others. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing of the one who saved us. And I want to tell you this morning is, is one of the things that the most important thing that you can hear this morning and learn is if you are not a believer, you are without hope on your own. There's no hope on your own. But the good news is, is that this Jesus, who Apollos taught about accurately, came and laid his life on the cross. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it up. He gave his life so that those who believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning, you don't need to leave like wondering what the way is. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So repent of your sin this morning and believe in Jesus. Learn that and go and teach him. And guard yourself as you do so. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning that we've had together around your word. And, and Lord, I'm, I'm praying, praying earnestly that we would guard ourselves. God, that we would guard one another. That, that this family that you've called us to, we would take seriously. Yes, we agitate one another. Yes, we get aggravated with one another. Yes, we don't always do everything the best way. But Lord, I pray that we would care for one another. Sacrificially look out for one another. Look not to our interests, but the interests of others, so that you would be glorified. God, I pray that we would faithfully learn from your word. And God, that we would go and teach your word. Always remembering that we need to learn what is taught and teach what we learn. Father, I pray for this week that is ahead of us, God, that you would go before us, you would pave the way, you would show us the doors that you've opened, and that we would faithfully walk through them, investing in the lives of those around us sharing the gospel and the hope that is found in you. Father, we love you, praise you. Ask all these things by the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus, amen.
Senhor.